0: I got a glass stuck in my hand and said, Hey, try this. And then try this and try this and try that. And then we go back to interview uh, Big Mo Kaysen back in his barbecue awesome. trailer. Yeah. So we go inside there and he pulls out a big old handle of Weller's special reserve. And he's like, I don't have no glasses. So we're just going to suck from the bottle. And <laughs> I am like, All right. So there, me, Big Mo Kaysen, and my wife sitting in the back of his barbecue trailer just sucking on a bottle. Yeah, this is
1: on Big. Yeah. He's day. a big dude. He's about your size We're though. We're about the dude. same size, yeah. 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 Uh-huh.
2: Welcome to another trip down the Bourbon Road
1: with your hosts, Jim and Mike. So grab a glass of your favorite bourbon and kick back.
2: We would like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Loghead's Home Center for supporting this episode of The Bourbon Road. Find out more about their fine rustic furniture at logheadshomecenter.com. Well, hello everyone. I'm Jim Shannon. And I'm Mike Hyatt. And this is The Bourbon Road. And today, Mike where are we? We're at Justin's House in Bourbon in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, this is a kind of a new addition to downtown. It hasn't been here very long. Uh, Justin's House of Bourbon is at uh, 101 West Market Street, uh, not too far from the epicenter of, of the bourbon, kind of the bourbon capital of the world here. But uh, they have another location in Lexington, and they were kind enough to open up their speakeasy room to us. So that we could have an interview today.
0: I'd, I'd say they're a high-end bottle shop. Is to me that's what I would consider it—not a liquor store. Um, more of the higher-end stuff is here. You want, looking for something special, hard to find? This is the place you want to come find it.
2: They have a tasting bar, and uh, they have a lot of not not only store picks, things that they've chosen, but they also have some old dusty bottles, some stuff from the past, and some pre-prohibition stuff, and I kind of—that's kind of their expertise there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who do we have with us today?
0: We got the man, the myth, the legend, Steve Coombs. Steve (laughs) Coombs.
2: Welcome to the show. Oh, glad to be here, guys. How'd you like that
1: introduction? (laughs) Yeah, man, myth, legend. Man is probably right. Myth and legend. I I don't think anybody's wasting any time making any myths about me. What, uh, Steve, so... You're from a Louisville area. I am lifelong, fifty-five years. Fifty-five years. So you bleed that red, that red color, right? I do. My parents uh, got me on that, and uh, I'm a University of Louisville graduate, so I do love my cars, despite their mid-season faltering right now. And that's where you went to school at? That's correct. Graduated late in my class in 1992. So.
0: Nineteen ninety two. Yeah. Man, that takes takes you back, Jim.
1: It does. (laughs) Should have been nineteen eighty six, but I spent a long time being a chef and can't really do that in college very easily at the same time. So you were a chef too at at going to college or I was. I was the world's worst typist in high school. I always knew I wanted to be a writer. And uh I'm like I said, you can tell by my age, I was the last mine was the last class at St. X High School. That was using manual typewriters i mean not the plug-in kind i mean the true manual wow and I was such a terrible typist that when uh, bob white who is a famous uh, high school sports reporter for the courier for a long time came in and talked about journalism on career day i just thought i'll never be able to type on deadline so i kind of gave up that dream for a while and, and was already in working in high-end restaurants as a kid to pay my way through st x and um I was reading restaurant trade magazines all the time. And when a girlfriend said, you know about word processing, don't you? It's like, what? Yeah, I've heard of it. What about it? She said, you you don't have to be a great typist. She can just correct everything as you go. (laughs) It's like, wow, that's great. And I (laughs) bought my first laptop, an 11 and a half pound NEC multi-sync. And uh, I thought, well, maybe I can make this writing thing go. And thankfully, I had a long career in restaurants. And I became a a restaurant uh, reporter for 29 years. Wow.
2: Well, Steve, we're going to get into all of that here in just a minute, but as we always say, we don't like to spend a whole lot of time chit-chatting up front. We like to get straight to that first drink.
1: Yeah, because they'll be turning it off soon. <laughs> it's, it's, it, this guy's going to talk? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't
2: think that, but nevertheless, they are they are wanting to hear about the whiskey, right? Yeah, let's talk whiskey, man. <laughs> all right. So uh, the fellows here at Justin's House of Bourbon have provided us with our first bottle uh, that we have in our glasses, and this is a... Charles Medley Distillery. Uh, this is a uh, Medley exclusive selection. It's a barrel pick that was performed by the Bourbon Mafia. It is um, it's about eight and a half years old. It, I'm told it's Heaven Hill Juice. Um, it's 120 and a half proof. Let's check it out.
0: I'd have to say cheers, guys.
1: Cheers, cheers fellas. Can't reach across the room to clink glasses. Yeah, we're about ten
2: or twelve feet apart, but that actually makes for good radio, I think.
0: <laughs> or in here, they got a beautiful speakeasy in here that's really hidden behind uh they've got a nice wall of shelves with bourbon and whiskey on it, some some old dusties up on the wall. But behind that is actually a door that you could walk into a speakeasy and this big leather couch that Steve's sitting on, two big giant leather chairs that me and Jim are sitting on and Everything in this room screams Kentucky, except for. I got a damn warthog on a wall over there, staring at me. Maybe
1: like a razorback. That'd be the closest thing, right? I've never seen no razorback look like that. <laughs>
0: that's one of those. That's one of those Africa ones, though. Oh yeah, yeah. that's that, definitely a African warthog. Uh,
2: like on uh, got, we're, we there were talking about that earlier. C- it's like that, like on uh, Lion King. Lion King. Huba. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I, yeah, I've tapped the uh, the depth of my porcine knowledge when it when it comes
0: to those beasts. <laughs> this is a it's a definitely a beautiful room. We got a photo up there of uh, Churchill Downs with Twin Spires.
1: Yeah, and you were talking a little bit about the place that they, they position themselves as a vintage whiskey shop. Because as far as we know, they're the only place in certainly in Kentucky and certainly and perhaps even the United States where you can buy and sell vintage whiskey. So if you got something old to bring here to sell or just to come up and show it to them and get a story on it and maybe an appraisal, they'll do that yeah so that is a result of some recent legislation right within the last year or two positive legislation it would be i think it'd be two years as of december okay so that's great yeah it was fantastic for these guys and for collectors out there who want to unload some of their stock have an opportunity to do it legally right absolutely so what do you get on this mike what do you think
0: i don't know my i got a cold so i this thing is messing me up but i I can smell that oak in there. Steve? And I could definitely. I, I get
1: of, it leads with rye for me. Then there's a bunch of orange coming up behind it. Um, and then plenty of oak. Got yeah. yeah. you, Jim. Yeah, I got the citrus,
2: but it's a little bit, I don't know if you can get a sour citrus on your nose. It's a little bit more of a sour citrus for me. Um the opposite of sweet, but I do get the oak on the tail end of it. I haven't tasted it yet. That's all on the nose. Um, yeah,
1: the rise, the rise of the spice comes through on the nose. Right. I gonna bet if it's Heaven Hill, it's probably Heaven Hill Reg, just the uh, mm-hmm. seventy-eight, twelve, ten. Was that the seventy-eight corn, twelve percent rye, ten percent right malted barley? It's
0: got a little. I've already tasted. it. You know me, Jim. I like to just start drinking the whiskey. Everybody's sitting here smelling it. I'm like, hey. <laughs> well, when we you can't got drink cold, it through
1: your nose, when you got a cold, you might as well just scrape. I the was at a. Uh, uh, very old Barton today or oh, just Barton 1792 distillery day with Danny Kahn the master distiller he said I probably nose a whiskey 20 times before I taste it 20 really yeah he just said it It, it explains itself to me through my nose first like, well wow, it was interesting Jotted it down try I'll try to wait 20 sniffs 20 sniffs So Steve <laughs> how how do you nose a whiskey what's your technique I I mine's pretty standard like everybody else's I'll put my nose close to the glass if not in the glass open my mouth and 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 just breathe through my mouth to draw it into my nose uh just to not you know blast it out with too much vapor especially with a 120 proof whiskey like this kind of greets you. you don't even have to uh draw it in too much with a whiskey this uh, high proof, right. don't you think?
0: Yeah, you know what, Jim? This tastes like a cinnamon Jolly Rancher to me.
2: Yeah, that's what I get from it. Cinnamon Jolly Rancher. It's been a while since I had this. I'm not a big cinnamon candy fan, but uh Jolly Ranchers I do like. I'm trying to think of which ones I like. I like those those sour apple ones. I think
1: uh, I was a watermelon Jolly. Watermelon. Yeah, okay. okay. yeah. I think it's fine. It's a little thin. Probably pretty, he said eight year? Eight and a half, about eight and a half years. Doesn't have a ton of body.
2: Well, it's my first taste of the day, so I have to give it, I have to get a little time. You know, it takes me a while to uh, acclimate. Is Mm -hmm. is that the right word? Acclimate? Sure, sure. It takes me a while to acclimate after that first drink. So uh, the nose I can usually do pretty good, but when it hits the palate for the first time of the day. It's like, well, let me try again. Usually it's a little bit bitter for me. On the first drink, uh-huh. I don't know about you, but it is for me. With well, that
0: that bottle, I'm looking at the bottle itself. It, it's kind of a throwback. It's not that, nothing special, right?
1: Right. This three color label. Um, I guess some of the bedlul labels I've seen are what are they blue and gray? Some of the higher end barrel picks, maybe that one's um, pretty simple. Stands out though. Not a lot of white label, black letter, red banded <laughs> labels that I'm aware of. I'm just just a simple
0: bottle too, really. I wouldn't even say that's a wine bottle, is it?
1: Um, uh-uh. No. The neck's not long enough. The yeah, shoulders yeah.
0: are too straight. It's short. a little bit it's, shorter. This expert over here, man, he's schooling us he today. He is. Old restaurant
2: boy. So, do you know where it was bottled at? If Heaven Hill did it, I would imagine they bottled it themselves, right? Actually, it says, distilled in Kentucky, as we know, bottled by Charles Medley Distillery in Fairfield, California.
1: Fairfield, California? Why would they haul it all that far? I don't know. It must have been a cost matter. Well, anyway, Not what they go medley. Well, medley used to be in Owensboro. So I guess they don't have a bottling facility there anymore. It's so T- who's an Tyler. O- who's in Owensboro now? Because Tyler, I, Tyler, are they the only distillery in Owensboro? As, far as I know, but you know, trust that as far as you and I are sitting from each yeah. other. <laughs>
2: yeah, somebody was talking to me the other day about going to Owensboro for the weekend, and I thought, you know what? I, I think I'd like to do that.
1: I That's think. an absolutely terrific town, underheralded. I, I I can't tell you how often I pitch that. As a travel story, when I was going down there six and seven years ago and the riverfront was, you know, the rebuilding of that was coming to life and the New York Times had been there already and things were happening. The restaurant scene was picking up The unfortunately there was a fantastic um brew pub there that's no longer there Gambrinus was the name of it but it's got a lot of life down there but especially you got grandkids that riverfront park is absolutely outstanding and it's a very hospitable affordable area to go I go to Owensboro. Yeah we'll do it for sure. Yeah.
0: They're famous for the barbecue there
1: for Kentucky. Yeah and I like Old Hickory of, of all the ones that are down moon,
0: there. Not a moonlight guy.
1: I think it's okay I love their mutton though mm. I, I but I think their other barbecues okay
0: i I've, I've been to both of them um i don't know i'm not a particular fan of mutton mm. i just think of old old used up sheep <laughs> just used up.
2: Well, tenderized. Can't, do can't do nothing else with that thing. tenderized michael yeah tenderized all right or toughened up maybe. yeah <laughs> well steve you have been on the show once before you and mike uh sort of met up at the Kentucky Barbecue Festival over in Danville, down at the Wilderness Trail Distillery. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, earlier in the year, and and, and I, I think you had a nice little interview. It was kind of short, but I think it let us know that we needed to get you back on the show. We also came down to the Bardstown Bourbon Festival this year. Uh-huh. A lot of people were up here in Louisville right. uh, for the events going on up here. Mike and I decided to go to Bardstown for, for the day, and you were interviewing a couple of fine people down there.
1: Yeah, that was um, I was hired by the festival to do what take their first stab at what was an, of the, kind of an education stage, and I got to interview a bunch of master distillers or and other people who are influential in the business, and we wanted to be able to introduce the guests of the festival to maybe personalities that they hadn't seen before, and let them listen in as I talked to these master distillers. And what was interesting was there's so much foot traffic in that area of the festival okay. that. I don't think a lot of attendees listened but one of the vendors several of the vendors who were near us actually came up and said you know we're a captive audience we can't leave our booths and we're enjoying this we're we've <laughs> never heard these stories told by these great master distillers and other people in the industry this is great you're asking great questions so we're gonna we're gonna do it again in 2020 but we're gonna change the format somehow well i I really enjoyed now Mike and I stood
2: there for a while we we Listen to your interview of Fred and Freddie. No. Oh my gosh. Was that great? Those or guys are absolutely hilarious. They're so much fun. And uh, hats off to you. What a great interview. I mean, Thank it you. really was. Well done. Uh, very. I really did. We wanted to get around and see some other things, but I didn't want to leave while you were interviewing because it was going so well. It was so entertaining. Those two go at it. It's just so much fun. Did
1: you see the, the early morning one where I dropped my notes? I. What What time was it?
0: We got there. Well, we went to uh, the pancake breakfast down there first. Oh,
1: you were early. Yeah. Well, I I had, you know, I I did, I think, 12 to 14 interviews in two days, and so I had to have some questions and be prepared. And a breeze came up right before Fred and Freddie and I were supposed to start, and it blew my uh, notes off my lap, and I said, and Freddie No leans forward and he says, Steve, I believe you're the first guy ever to beat Fred No to a cuss word in an interview. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I sent him to a hot mic. Um, and that was as bad as it got. I try to keep my tongue in order, but uh, that set the tone. And we just had a ball. And of course, Fred was off the leash, which I love. You know, few few people can use that kind of language and and still entertain everybody. He, he loves a good interview. I guess he does. He's a great interview, period. Yeah. He needs a book done about him. Well, you
2: know, you talked a little bit about uh school and your writing. Can you can you sort of take us through that? That kind of early time that got you
1: into food, into writing? I was, uh, I, like I was saying, uh, I, I needed to help pay my education at St. X, and, and a friend was uh, in the restaurant industry, and he got me a job as a busboy at Casa Grisani. And for listeners who may not know what Casa Grisani was, it was a very high-end restaurant that gave, less, that gave life to Louisville's restaurant boom. Um, and I was fascinated with the business and wasn't sure what I wanted to do in college, and I stayed in for quite a while became a chef really got interested in food and preparing it eventually became a food writer restaurant writer to get out of the business because it was fun while it lasted but 11 years was enough But along the way uh i began networking with other writers and other publications and got to go to some whiskey events and this is one of my favorite stories do you guys ever meet dawn pristol when she was Running the uh, tourism in Bardstown. I was not yet a bourbon drinker. I loved tequila and gin. And I was there for a story on Southern Living, or for Southern Living in Bardstown. And we pull up to the Heaven Hill uh, Bourbon Heritage Center to see Larry Cass. Did you guys get, get to meet Larry before he retired? Uh, I've met Larry. You've but. got to get him on the show. Yeah. And and Don, who's a firecracker, said, Steve Coombs, you get your butt out of my car right now. Go in there and do a <laughs> bourbon tasting. I'm kidding you. <laughs> that was the tone. I'd known her for about four hours and just, yes, ma'am, okay. I'll go, <laughs> go do it. And that was the day, literally, that I started to like whiskey. And like, like a lot of people, I'd had some run-ins with her that weren't so pop, you know, weren't so fantastic when I was 16, 17, 18, when I shouldn't have been drinking it anyway. And I had about a 30-year layoff until that day, and the the two whiskeys I had were um, Elijah Craig 94 proof and uh, Larceny 92 proof. And those lit my mouth on fire. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. Those softy whiskeys that I <laughs> love today. But it all started to kind of come together for me, and that started me down the bourbon road, as it were. Um, and enjoying it. And once I really got hooked on it, it leapt past any spirit, any wine, any beer that I've ever enjoyed. It's, it, bourbon is just my favorite. So it's got you by the tail. Huh? <laughs> oh, the tail, the tongue, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I, I just love it.
0: There's just so much out there. You know, I, I think when I drink uh, like a vodka, vodka is just to me almost all of them are same, a little bit difference here and there but not a whole lot
1: you gotta taste them next to each other to find any dissimilarities yeah, for but sure for bourbons they're just some
0: of them are so complex and so different than each other that i just love it i did you know that corn sometimes that maybe that's what brings it all different and the oak i guess
1: there's so so much science to it it's as i'm sure many of your guests have talked about that change it all and you know a lot of them will say about 10 of this is just dark arts you know, that you you do everything you can to control the process, but there's some uncontrollables that really make it magic and delicious.
2: So you're actually controlling a very small percentage of the overall result when you're trying to control it.
1: Well, I, I would think it's maybe the opposite, and not necessarily to disagree with you, but maybe to linger with a thought for a second. I think that you can control your grain choice, your distillation, your your your, your fermentation, distillation, maturation. But man, when it's sitting there with every passing year, it's doing something you don't have any control over. And as we've all tasted before, barrels sitting next to barrels that were distilled the same day, filled the same day can taste really, really different. And so it's like child rearing. You can only do so much. Well, we've all
2: heard, you know, people spat out numbers about how much impact a barrel has on the overall flavor of a whiskey. And I don't know how you can actually quantify that, how you can say this percentage is barrel. I think that's just a gut feeling by a lot of people. But it is a significant part of the flavor comes from the barrel. Right. And that is out of your control somewhat. You got a pretty good idea what's going to happen, but it is sure it it can take different directions there. But I guess it is important to make sure that what's going into that barrel is as consistent as possible so that it's not going too far left or right once it enters the barrel. I guess the barrel can't fix anything, right?
1: You know, uh, Andrea Wilson from uh, Michter said that this, uh, this morning. When we were I was with the media group at the, for the Bourbon Classic that's in town right now, and we were at Michter's doing a tour, and she said, you cannot fix bad distillate in a barrel. People think you can Oh, it'll age out. She said, garbage in, garbage out. And I think it's true. That's why so
2: much time is spent by the distilleries in tasting new make before it goes in the barrels. All their quality control and everything goes into making sure that 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 clear liquid is as
1: best as it can be before it enters wood. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, it's oak, mm-hmm. but how different is that oak? What tree did that come from? I mean, one of these, some of these things that Buffalo Trace is really digging into so, right. to, to question those things. Yeah.
0: So you're over at Mictors today, you said, and how do you feel like that place is doing?
1: Oh my gosh. They they said, they being uh, the people that work there said they're just blown away at how much busier, earlier in the week it's always becoming. You know, it used to be um, that most of the tourist traffic or visitor traffic was on the weekends and now that's that's always stacked up. Now it's backing up deeper into the week, and, and they're all just saying it's crazy busy, which is fantastic. So you were at Fort Nelson, the that's correct. Tours. that's correct. the The Shively Distillery is not uh, open to public tours; it's open to private tours. Yeah, I don't know
0: if you they took you over there too and saw they, that
1: they have in the past until Fort Nelson opened, and now that's that's the place to be, and and it's a joy to be there for sure because they have that wonderful bar as <laughs> a boy t- i mean drinking drink what do they call them am pm's it's basically um a breakfast manhattan if you will that we had this morning uh you know at eight thirty. that is not a bad thing
0: that's never bad to start that early right
1: <laughs> i you
2: know sometimes we record early in the day and i think once you get going it 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 doesn't feel early no, but you gotta get that first one in you i think we,
0: we started at six six i think it's like six o'clock in the morning one time to record and I'd gotten off work at six o'clock in the morning and then I came over to Jim's and we're like, Hey, we got to get this episode done. So we, we started drinking
1: right then. (laughs) It doesn't seem to matter to me anymore when you start. Yeah. They say
2: that your palate is at its best in the early morning.
1: It's funny. You mentioned that, Jim. Do do you guys know Paul Picoult, the great spirits reviewer? I don't, I don't know. He, when he does his reviews, his wife sets out everything he's going to review the night before. And all his glassware. And then the next morning at seven, he starts and he goes through his whole tasting list, whatever that might be, until 10 a.m. So no no brushing his teeth. He does all that night before and, you know, tries to keep everything very controlled in his, his tasting room. Do you feel like your palate is uh, well-developed? Do you feel like you have a pretty good palate, at least as far
2: as you're concerned.
1: I do. And it's funny. I I would, you know, a lot of that is my restaurant background. I think it was good at that part of the job. And it was funny back in that day, every single person in the restaurant, except the dishwasher was set down for white uh, wine tastings. And so I was, I was getting that kind of training from the time I was 16 onward. And so I, I was very comfortable getting into, um, a discussion of what I'm tasting and what I'm smelling. Now I've got friends that say, your palate's amazing. It's like, eh, <laughs> my palate's experienced. Do I maybe have a better nose than some? Maybe, but there are people that, that have noses that, that I think are just, you know, outstanding and off the charts, you know, one of those super taster types. So I, I, I'd give myself a B plus okay. you know, at the very least for that. Well, we've got some listeners out there,
2: I'm sure who um, are saying to themselves every day, how do I get my palate to be better? Not necessarily to the level of a, you know, a reviewer or something like that, but what can I do to exercise my palate? What can I do to improve my whiskey tasting abilities and what what would you say the top two or three things are they can do
1: man i I, that's a great question i would you know westport whiskey and wine is a store here in louisville that has a big tasting room and bar and they have classes constantly and you can get into those classes and let somebody lead you through what you probably should be tasting describe the spirit for you you know it's provenance You know, especially if it's tequila, you know, where to come from the highlands or the lowlands or whatever, you know, and to give you a picture of that. And then when you're around other people and they're encouraging them to say, what do you taste? What do you smell? And you can start to identify, oh, yeah, I really do taste brown sugar. I really do taste minerality, all that kind of stuff that I could taste it, but I I couldn't articulate it. And people say, oh, the power of suggestion steers people hither and yon in the wrong ways. I, I think that's nonsense. I think it's the power of of um uh, uh, just articulating it and sharing it i mean it's kind of a collective
2: i mean if you if thing. you don't taste it you don't taste it but if somebody mentions something like i'm getting you know i don't know something crazy here bubble gum let's say and you and you say wow yeah i am i do get that that's that's a memory thing right i mean that's sure that, that's them causing you to pull out that memory you have of bubblegum in the past and say, yeah, that's what I taste. I don't know that the power of suggestion, I kind of tend to agree with you. I don't know that suggestion sends you down that path to tasting something you don't.
1: That's well put. I Mm -hmm. think it's really well put. And I think that um, being courageous enough to say, I'm not getting any of that. Mm -hmm. Today we we were at uh, Barton's and and it was uh, another experienced uh, spirits writer sitting next to me. And he kept talking about getting a bunch of cocoa and I was like, I'm not getting it. And there was somebody else across the table. Now, I'm not getting it either, but there was somebody across from him who said, I am getting it. Right. We have 7 billion pallets on this planet. Yeah. You know, we're not all going to get the same things. Right. Absolutely.
0: So what do you feel like when people say, oh, you you know I mean? You had a couple a couple of discussions about that when somebody says, well, that's horrible whiskey or um, I have a refined palate and I find that's trash whiskey or something. How do you feel? What what's your thought process on that?
1: Gosh, you and I have had a little bit of discussion <laughs> on that. That that people are rude in social media yeah. to say that kind of stuff. You know, it's a drain pour, or it's a you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't drink that if that were the last you know beverage on earth. That kind of nonsense. I think I, I think most whiskey makers are well intentioned in trying to put out a good product, and you should at least be kind in your rejection of it. You know, exactly. I, 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 and you don't have to criticize somebody else because they don't like the same things that that you like. It's just not my go-to profile, you know. Or True. And, and there, there are some, you know, I'll get a lot of press samples, and some are, are just just about undrinkable. And I'll, I'll send a message, you know, back to the publicist or the distiller and say, you know, I, I'm not going to review this. I really don't like it. Mine is, but one palette. You know, maybe you'll find a reviewer that does, but I, I'm not going to trash you in the press. I don't think it's kind. I, but then, of course, I don't tell them. You know what I do with it afterwards. <laughs> Sometimes it just gets dropped in a, a bottle and all in a campfire, and it just, <laughs> just goes away. And it's kind of a fun show. But uh, not every whiskey's good. But I'm just not going to rip anybody for.
0: I think that me and Jim both believe that stuff. I I, I say that when people if we post something on social media one of us is, is probably going to like that but sometimes we we might not even like it we just we post it because we're asking that question what's your thoughts on this and if it's a whiskey i like and you don't you disagree with us well, you could ship it to us and i'll drink it for you or jim would drink it <laughs> <laughs>
1: But then you'll put it in the fire. I bet. Yeah, well, we'll sit down by the fire and drink it. <laughs> yeah. Some of I mean, some some of those expressions are uh I, I won't name the distillery, but I I got three bottles and they were all cast strength, and they were all two years old. And they were darn near mahogany. So, you know, it was a small barrel, and it was just hot, and there were so many elements that you, you could taste if you're an experienced drinker and think. If they just waited two more years, this would probably start to mellow out and come become a good spirit. And this spirit probably isn't best at cash strength. You know what? What what it taste like at ninety? Right. You know. So I think sometimes distillers, especially craft distillers, jump into it thinking, well, it's got to be high proof. That's what everybody wants. Well, not really. Yeah. The vast majority don't want high proof. Right.
2: And, and there, I are, like there it. are things that are good at high proof, and there are things that are much better proof down. So
1: absolutely well steve we're going to take
2: a short break here well uh any any last um any last comments on this mike the the charles medley before I think it, we
0: it's very like you said it doesn't coat the mouth like you i would have thought it would i thought it would have been very oily it's not at all it's kind of drying actually
2: yeah fast I mean, fast finish I, I mean i'm enjoying it but it's uh yeah it's, not my favorite not my favorite well guys we'll take a short break here and when we come back steve we're going to dive a little bit deeper into what you do on a on a daily basis and talk a little bit about what you have going on and yeah we'll drink another whiskey sound good yes sir all right like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of the Bourbon Road. Logheads Home Center, nestled in the hills of Kentucky, is an industry leader in building handcrafted rustic furniture. Family owned and operated, they take pride in offering only the very best for their customers. The Logheads, and that's what they like to call themselves, are skilled woodcrafters who are passionate about creating rustic furniture for people who appreciate the beauty of natural wood. Give Tommy and Gwen a shout on Facebook or Instagram at Loghead's Home Center. All right, we are back, and we are at Justin's House of Bourbon with Steve Coombs. And uh, in the first half, we enjoyed a pour from uh, Medley. Mm Mm-hmm and uh in the second half steve what have you brought for us
1: well as, as i maybe said in, earlier in the show um i was one of i think 11 media dorks as we like to call ourselves writers that were invited to michter's fort nelson distillery this morning for uh, an event to do a lot of tasting do a lot of discussing about their whiskeys and we got some wonderful swag we were given each um a bottle of their barrel strength rye that you can fill. It's an experience. It's part of the experience there. You put the bottle under the spout and it comes directly from a barrel and you get to label it. And they put it in an absolutely beautiful package. And uh, when Mike was telling me, you know, bring something you like, I was like, I'm not going to be dragging a bottle of whiskey around all day. (laughs) And when I was walking up here from 21C, where most of the reporters are staying, it's like, hey, I got a bottle right here. So this is um, something that you can only get in Fort Nelson Distillery. Um, Michter's does not disclose age statements or mash bills, but it is their barrel strength rye. And I, I think that's that expression is absolutely delicious. It's one of my favorites. And uh, we're going to taste that now. So this is your bottle pick. No, not mine. It it just was, I I had my hand on the valve that allowed the whiskey to flow into the bottle. So I, I didn't pick this specifically, but I was glad to be picked by Michter's to get it. Now, we had talked about that earlier, that there's a couple of distilleries now that are
2: allowing you to fill bottles. And Michter's, I think, I think they were the first, were they not? I think so, yeah. I think Angel's Envy is doing it now. And then we had Bluegrass Distillers in Lexington on, and they let you sort of fill your own bottle directly from the barrel there. they got a barrel with a petcock in it, and you just sort of open that. and <laughs> Very interesting. It works all the same, I'm sure. So, yeah, let's check out your uh, Michter's Barrel Strength Rye here.
1: A lot of grain on the nose. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. Sometimes rye presents to me, um, there's a, a, almost a weird background iris Iris, you know, like purple iris grape note that I get. I know that's a weird one to throw out there. Purple but it, iris grape. You know, stick your nose mm-hmm. in a purple iris sometimes and it'll smell like cheap Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah, so I, I get the spicy grape. I get yeah, a little bit of spicy grape It's just there. kind of strange. But oh gosh, you know, big caramel background, um, toasted oak. I get citrus in that too.
2: Yeah, definitely a little bit of citrus. Kind of a little bit more of a, for me a little bit more of a lime citrus than an orange citrus. Interesting. All
1: right, let's taste her. That's a lot of spice. It's either one hundred and four or one hundred and seven proof, is it?
2: And again, they don't they don't mention their their mash bills, but would you say this is probably? In the sixty to seventy-five percent range,
1: lower, lower than lower that. than you, that. I mean, in terms of rye, yeah, they, they they do state that theirs is much more of a Kentucky style rye, which like is fifty-five, exactly. Okay. so at, at least fifty-one yeah. percent to be called rye, and then not much higher than that. Now we've got uh, we've got other ryes
2: <clears throat> that are in that same realm, like mm-hmm. for example the uh, the Pikesville, which is at fifty-one. The Old Forcers, what sixty-five?
1: Oh, their uh, mash bill. Yeah,
2: I, I don't know, and I should know that. I th- I think that's true. Pikesville, uh,
1: you're correct on,
2: and I and I don't remember the the Knob Creek, or even if it's if they put it out.
1: I don't know that it's it's put out. Yeah, but um, it, it's just amazing how different all those are, and you know, in close as close as their mash bills are, mm-hmm. then it jumps off into fermentation, distillation, and maturation. And you really get very unique products,
2: Mike. Do you get any whorehound?
0: A little bit. I'm. I'm gonna. This. I. I'm not a rye guy, and this ain't my favorite rye whiskey ever. I think if if it was a higher rye content, I probably would like it more because it would bring that sweetness through. I think. Um,
2: I'm trying to think what ryes that you really liked. And there's not. There's not many. No, not a whole lot of them <laughs> in the world.
1: So were you a fan of Wilderness Trail when we were down there?
2: I am.
0: I. I I love all their products, uh, and maybe it is just Pat and Shane how they are, and to me, I wouldn't say a a bad chef just because he has a great personality just to make his food good,
1: right? <laughs> but
0: it, 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 like my him
1: it, just don't like what he cooks. Yeah,
0: but um, <laughs> sometimes that helps out, though. And I I think. I know they're putting a lot of work into it and their rye's good. I got a bottle of that on the shelf. It's it's a lot different.
1: Very fruity, uh very kind experiment of, yeah. forward And I think that afternoon after you and I met and did the interview, they they rolled out some barrel-proof expressions of their rye, the bourbon and the what was it either a wheated bourbon or just straight. They don't have a wheat whiskey, do they? No. So it had to have been a weed bourbon. bourbon. They have a wheated bourbon. But these were 6 and 7 years old and out freaking standing. Uh, by so the time, different from the fours. I'm sorry, Mike. No, ahead. you're good. By the
0: time that I got <laughs> to you, I was already well past where I should have been. Um, me and my wife had got there like nine o'clock in the morning and as soon as we walked into the to their offices there I got a glass stuck in my hand and said, Hey, try this. And then try this and try this and try that. And then we go back to interview uh, Big Mo Kaysen back in his barbecue awesome. trailer. Yeah. So we go inside there and he pulls out a big old handle of Weller's special reserve. And he's like, I don't have no glasses. So we're just going to suck from the bottle. And <laughs> I was like, All right. So there, me, Big Mo Kaysen, and my wife sitting in the back of his barbecue trailer just sucking on a bottle. Yeah, this is on
1: Big yeah oh he's yeah. a big dude he's about your size we're though, about dude. the same size yeah yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: and then there four roses was there too they had a tent set up there and they're giving me drinks and you know every time i'd make a loop pat and shane would <laughs> grab me and say here you, you don't have any drink in your hand so let's get you something else and then i'd come back over there and that hey let's try this try this trip. hey try this mixed drink
1: for for listeners who are wondering what that's like it, we are lucky people aren't we oh yeah to to get that kind of access to these people, who are so friendly. This is, this industry has yet, as far as I know, to have many egos in it, and they're just as friendly as they present themselves to guys like you and me, and I, 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 maybe a little bit it's because we're tied to the media, but most of it's like your friends are going to treat you like this, and it's it's amazing to be to it, don't don't you feel lucky to be in that circle? Well, I mean
0: you were talking about like Lisa Wicker, and she says, hey. I want you guys to come down to my house in Barstown. And we just sit on my, our porch and watch traffic go by and we'll drink the thousand bottles of whiskey that we have.
1: I heard that. Our house. I was envious. I was envious. Yeah, I was envious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah but I, I think that part of the bourbon culture to me is the greatest thing of it's almost like your next-door neighbor every time you go to the distiller. Hey, how you doing? Uh, here's some whiskey. Let's, let's get you drinking that.
1: How, how much of that is Kentucky, guys, do you think? I mean, we are a friendly state. Well, I think it's
2: Southern, maybe not just Kentucky, but it's kind of a Southern hospitality thing. I think, I mean, I, I feel like, um, I felt pretty comfortable in Tennessee as well. What about you? Oh yeah. Well, I think you're right. I think it is a Southern thing. I've lived
0: all over the United States, lived up Michigan and Maine and lived in Virginia, which they would say they're South, but a lot of Northern, um, influence there, I guess. But something in this house is just different, you know. Mm-hmm. Whenever you go in a restaurant and you say, "Hey, I get myself some tea," you know for a fact that you're going to get a sweet tea, <laughs> right? <laughs> you're not going to get just regular old tea in a cup that's hot. <laughs> Nobody would ever bring you that; they'd bring you some sweet
1: tea. Yeah, they
0: might even bring you a piece of cornbread with it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so th- this is not your favorite. You're saying on the whiskey,
0: no, and I, you know, there I do have a my favorite expression from from uh Michter's is the toasted sour mash i think that's to me that's for me that's their best product
2: that's a little soft for me yeah yeah, uh, and yeah. very flavorful but a little soft i think that's where mike kind of it's, it's kind of where his his comfort zone is i think mike really likes those soft and uh and sweet bourbons those uh, he, uh he's a weeder guy no doubt oh, about that's it that's right yeah that's right i have been dabbling into some cast drinks lately and uh
0: it just, they got to have that, the dark fruits and cherries and chocolate to me. I like that. You're right. Sweet. That sweetness in that whiskey is Do you good. like, like the
1: Maker's Mark Private Selects?
0: Yeah. I got a couple of bottles of that at the house and I think they're, they're pretty delicious. Oh, I think they're outstanding. Yeah, that RC6 is good. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I, I, I wouldn't say have every, I might probably do have every expression that Maker's Mark has just because I want to have a great collection of weeded whiskeys. If there's, it's out there, I'm like. You know, I see it, I want to have it uh, just so I can have it on my shelf and I could go back and revisit it every once in a while, or I'll pour three out and I'll compare them. And, um, to me, that's a fun, fun thing to do,
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And they're
2: easy to drink by the fire. Well, for me, guys, I do like the Mictor's uh rye whiskey. In fact, I think for me, uh, I like the rye a little bit better than the bourbon. That, that's just because I, I'm a spicy guy, I like spicy things. This is a you know, it's not uh, it's not a ninety five five by any means, but it's a good solid, good solid rye. And uh, at barrel strength, I think it's good. I think for me, it's it's something that I could,
1: I could have on the shelf all the time. Yeah, and something that, that you know, it's a bit of a bias for me with Mictors is I've done a lot of food pairings with these for you know big events like this weekend. I've got one for one hundred and fifty people. This one's with Barton. But um, I do a lot of business with Michter's and I, I do a lot of food pairings with Michter's. And we don't really know what it is about their whiskeys. Perhaps it's a low barrel entry proof. Perhaps it's their particular mash bill, whatever. But they pair almost magically with food. And this whiskey, because of its spice, this, this barrel strength rye would pair, I'm certain, really well with country ham, fatty country ham. It would definitely pair well with um, probably a middle-aged cheese. You know, maybe a year or so old, because it's it's got enough spice to fight back at that fat. So I, I look at those things in in a couple of different dimensions, like you're talking about.
0: That could, for me, that could change the taste of the whiskey for me and make me enjoy it a little bit better, or maybe appreciate it a little bit better if I'm eating or pairing something mm-hmm. with it um probably doesn't have i have a cold cold day and i have a cough drop in my mouth too and drinking whiskey
2: um (laughs) so that's where that whorehound came from yeah
1: (laughs) that was a great call by the way i mean i've only gotten one whiskey i don't even know what it was but uh maybe it was in a review but i said whorehound candy and when you said it in that show uh, i thought i know what he's talking about yeah Yeah, we 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 were well we did with the bourbon lens and those guys are a lot younger than
0: us and they were like what's whorehound (laughs)
2: <laughs> is that a bad word <laughs> we said haven't you ever been to tractor supply I said no what's tractor supply <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're starting to ground zero here. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So speaking of Country Ham, you have a book out on Country Ham, don't you?
1: Yeah. And forgive me for not even thinking to bring you guys a couple of copies. I'll see you around and I'll make sure to get you some. But it was um, Fred Minnick, my buddy. I was his boss a long time ago. So I knew Fred when, which is kind of fun to say. And a publisher approached him and said, you want to write a book on country ham? He says, I don't know a thing about it, but I know somebody who might. And that was how I wound up writing country ham, a Southern tradition of hogs, salt and smoke. And this is a true story is, is, is fabricated as it sounds. But I was reading, you know, the manuscript late one night and I was sipping bourbon and eating some country ham that had come from Nancy Newsome, um, fantastic ham producer in Western Kentucky. And I thought, Eureka, this stuff tastes good with, you know, these things taste good together because the fat and the ham coats the palate and the proof and the spirit scrubs it clean and it illuminates so many other flavors. And not long after I started doing pairings with country ham and then we wound chocolates into it. Then we wound cheeses and I'm going to do one here next week at Justin's House of Bourbon. It's going to have hot uh, beef brisket. And all these different things come together. F- food and whiskey should be treated just like wine, and food should be because it really elevates the flavors in the food. You Just got to figure out what pairs well. So I think if you're,
2: you know, if you're at home and you're thinking about having a whiskey night or a bourbon night at your house, and you want to put some things out for people to munch on along with bourbon, it would be a good thing to 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 sit down and do some pairings and try to decide what goes good good together. Uh, that's a lot of fun, Jim. I mean, yeah, I think it is. I th- you know, I I would love to to pick your brain sometime and just talk about some 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 of your favorite pairings. You know, things that you've
1: done for entertaining, for example, that have real been real hits. Well, I can tell you, make it fatty. So chocolate, ham, charcuterie in general. Yeah, as long as it's not overly garlicky, like salami or something like that um stay away from hot stuffs. my wife and i thought one time well let's see how let's see how whiskey pairs with our spicy chicharrones bad idea doesn't work bad huh? I, oh <laughs> i mean we were breathing fire um cheeses work great uh, again we're always going back to fat content it seems it just goes really well with it but, yeah. but i i i was at a restaurant one night and the chef was friend of or a client of one of the guests at our table and he kept sending out dishes. We never saw the menus. And we were just eating and eating and eating. And I was nursing a two ounce pour of stag junior throughout that entire meal and it matched everything. Wow. So it's it's, you know, it's exploratory at this point. Sure. You know, Woodford Reserve has, the you know, the basic flavor wheel experiment, but that's just a taste of a cranberry, taste of a nut, taste of something orange. Put it next to your steak. Put it next to whatever dish and give it a shot. I mean, how else are you going to know? Right. right. So
0: hams, you know, you wrote that book. And so what's the best ham here in Kentucky?
1: You know, it's funny that you ask that because I, I, I would say what's my favorite would be the better question because people have strong opinions about ham like they do whiskey. But um, it's really relative sometimes to the livestock they're getting. So what might be my favorite one year might not be my favorite next year. Um, but what I love and love to work with and will be using Saturday at the Bourbon Classic is um, Broadbent's which is terrific. That's in Catawba, Kentucky. I'm going to be using uh, Alan Benton's uh, Smoky Mountain Country Hams. That's from Maryville, Tennessee. And I'm going to be using the Tenchuto, as it's called, from the Hamery in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. It's a, it's a play on prosciutto, obviously, made in Tennessee. And the, the thing is that the, the, the ham maker, a guy named Bob Woods, and I were talking for the book six years ago, and he said, Steve, country ham ain't nothing but hillbilly prosciutto <laughs> i was like you're exactly right that is the truth right? that there. is the truth except we you know the, the only difference for listeners who care is prosciutto ham is only salted it's not there's no sugar in the cure and it's not smoked like we do here in the south and not even everybody in kentucky smokes their hams you can almost without fail Draw the line at I sixty five, and if you go west, it's smoked. If you go east, it's not smoked. Like Virginia hams are salted. What well, you know, Edwards smokes theirs. So Edwards mm-hmm. is an absolutely terrific ham. They their their their, their uh, facility burned down a few years ago, and they're finally getting hams back into the. Mix, I mean, in, into the market, I should say. So that's one of my favorites as well.
0: I remember uh, being a station in Virginia, and we went over to Surrey, Virginia. That's S- where it
1: is, baby. Yeah,
0: yeah. And uh, they had a ham over there that's almost two hundred years old.
1: Yeah, I think that's a doorstop. That's just,
0: they were like they're cutting it up that day, let people try it, and. I was like, I don't know if I want to eat s- that thing, but I
1: tried it. And- it was it like saddle leather? Mm. And, was- and saddle leather might have been tender compared to what that thing was <laughs> it like. It
0: took me back to what I thought like a 1700s or 1800s sailor would have had to eat and, is what i thought
2: so this,
1: you're, this. you're dreaming good there man <laughs>
2: <laughs> so this 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 whole country ham thing is not all that different than bourbon right i mean it's hand the the recipes and the processes that are used to make country hams are handed down through generations these families some of these families are still making the hams the same way they're forebearers
1: did years ago it it even goes deeper than that jim that we the climate here is was let's just say because it really has warmed up i don't care anybody says what causes it we don't know but it has warmed up to where you can't cure outside safely but this area of the world if you trace it around the globe is the ham curing belt as it were because the climate was perfect with really cold winters where you could salt the meat, hang it outside, and it was safe. It's a giant refrigerator. It's nature's refrigerator. And then as the weather warmed up gradually over the spring, the salt penetrates further, a greater amount of water comes out of the ham, firms up that meat, and cures it. So it's a little bit like whiskey in the sense that the weather plays a big factor you know, in how that ham is going to be aged and how whiskey is going to age and move into and out there. Of that wood so we're we're in a a a magnificent place to be able to do both things and really point to them as part of our heritage i
2: mean bourbon bourbon is obviously i'm a big fan of bourbon i'm an even bigger fan of country ham
1: Dang, I wish and I'd known. I brought you some
2: barbecue. Is another thing that really gets oh my me going. Oh, Gosh,
1: try you ever have bourbon with your barbecue? I have.
2: Yeah, change your life. Yeah, Mike here is just he's he's something else on the grill. Let me tell you,
0: I don't know about all that. <laughs> I, I can <laughs> I can smoke some some brisket and some. I think my thing is uh, pulled pork, and me and Steve had talked about that. Uh, my pulled pork recipe. I, if I have ever mastered anything in my life uh, besides my chili. Is my pulled pork? Um, I think that's that's one thing I got down.
1: What do you like to drink, uh, spirits wise, with your pork, or
0: do you? Well, here's the thing: I really don't like pork that much. If it's not ham, I love ham. I grew up, I was raised on a ranch, so you know, ham and biscuits is just something you eat.
2: Homemade bacon, though. Homemade bacon. Yeah, I do that
0: and too. I, and we and Stephen talked about that to make that, but I usually don't even eat my own pulled pork because by the time I've, I've Cooked it and I tasted it and then I serve it to everybody. I'm, I'm usually just too tired to do anything else. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm
0: Sit down and give
1: me a I'll, peanut butter sandwich. I'll pair
0: my whiskey with my whiskey and <laughs> yeah, because smoking, uh, to me, smoking is an art. It's, it, it there's a somewhat of a science to it. You know, we talked about that. Where's that right temperature at? Mm-hmm. Um, what are you doing to the meat? Are you dry rubbing it? Are you injecting it? What are you doing to? it How long are you smoking it? I like to smoke my pulled pork for seventeen hours, and that's that's a long time, right? Um, to to make sure that thing's babied a little Thank bit. Thank
2: God for pellet grills. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pellets, yeah,
0: pellet smokers have changed the world. I think when it comes to to smoking stuff,
2: I've still got the old firebox smoker, and I I tell you what, I love it. But I don't go to it very often anymore. Now that I got a pellet grill, what I <laughs> what I do enjoy doing though, and Jim will tell you this is I do we do enjoy
0: entertaining at our house. And one Christmas we had a just a uh, we had a party a Christmas party at our house, but we made it a bourbon theme. And um, so I made a um, injection out of bourbon and some other stuff, and I injected a uh, pork loin, and then I made a a latt- lattice wrap of bacon, and then I smoked that thing. Uh, and people were just like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever had in my life. But we had, we put out like 10 bourbons for them to t- try and said, hey, we tried to pair it. But the one thing I do enjoy, you said, was a charcuterie board. Yeah. And I think that is the best thing ever to drink with bourbon.
1: Absolutely. And, and just one, one more plug for Country Ham. We import 4 million cured hams every year to this country. And the best estimates is that we make two and a half million country hams. Now, granted, not every country ham is up to the quality of the prosciutto and the serrano and the Iberico hams coming from Europe. But we have this humongous opportunity in this country to do our own thing. We've got all the lamb, we've got all the livestock, and we have a huge audience for charcuterie. McDonald's is going to have charcuterie before it's over. You know, Of course, that's an exaggeration, but it's everywhere. I wish that the government would get out of the way believe it or not the usda is a real hindrance to that right now is that so i didn't know that yeah it's a complex problem
0: i'd probably be selling bacon if it wasn't for the usda right now because it there's just so many regulations that says you can't be a pretty much a farm producer anymore you gotta almost be grandfathered into it and you know people taste my bacon and they're like oh that's the most amazing stuff ever um and you're like it's the easiest thing i ever made in my
1: life
2: it it is (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's so easy it's easy to make it safe
2: anyway. speaking of making you also have a book on uh segue here you also have a book on uh home distilling uh-huh can you tell us a little bit about that
1: that, uh, that, that was fu- uh kind of funny in that it was a, a rush job that i was asked to do by a british publisher and i took the job and it was really a crash course for me to learn what distilling is about i, I knew the basics but i didn't really know as much as I needed to until I started studying for that. Um, The only country in the world where distilling is legal at home is New Zealand. And when you really look into it, you know, if you do it right, it's very safe. Mm -hmm. I've never done it. I know a lot of people that do it. They believe somebody made an estimate in one of those interviews. There was about 100,000 home distillers in the United States. And if you see how long it takes to get you a drink, you just go to the liquor store. in Most sure. cases, <laughs> but, you got you got to really want to do it. But uh, for the guys like Mike, who will spend seventeen hours smoking a hog shoulder, that's the kind of guy that wants to make his own drink just to do it. Yeah, and it's if you do it safely, and it's almost one of those things you got to screw up badly to screw it up. I, frankly, I think it should be allowed. I, I think the government's biggest issue is that they can't tax it if you're right. making it at home. But, um, even if they allowed it, I think, I don't think there'd be a ton of people doing it because it takes work. It's not like beer. You can have, you can have your drink in four to four days to three weeks, depending on what you're making. Right. But getting, you know, sitting around drinking white lightning is just not my idea of fun.
2: So does your, does your book sort of take people through the whole process?
1: (laughs) It does. And it talks about different spirits and it talks about how it's made in different, uh, markets. And the distillers that I talked to for the book um, have all gone uh, professional. Okay. Of course, the guys doing it illegally didn't want to talk, but they would tell me, well, if you do this, that, and the other, this is how it works. But um, it's out there. People are doing it and uh, doing it safely and making good liquor from what I understand.
0: I think there's somebody down a creek from me that has a steel down there. there I I smell some bread every once in a while down in the creek. (laughs) I'm down there and I'm like... (laughs) Man, that smells like loaves of bread being baked on the creek. There's some <laughs> mash
1: going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my, to talk about books, though, I, I just finished um, what I think would be a fantastic book, and it's called The Rebirth of Bourbon, The uh, Building a Tourism Economy in Small Town, USA, and it's about the economic impact of the bourbon industry on Bartstown. Oh, okay. And the stories that I got out of that are Fantastic. It's fun. It's, it's neat to see what this little town is going through. Some real growing pains as the industry grows around it and is forcing it to change and it's struggling to keep its Bartstown feel. But, but it also needs to step up mm-hmm. and train its people to make a good old fashioned a Manhattan, a right. Sazerac. And the good thing is they're hospitable. They're lovely, friendly people, but they just need some polish. But yeah. what's going on down there is absolutely crazy. And as you're seeing, out-of-towners are driving that change. With Bartstown Bourbon Company. Uh, Stolishnaya is going to build the Kentucky Owl Distillery. There are Kentucky Owl Park, I think it's going to be called.
0: Is it more of an amusement park is what they're going to have? like?
1: No, it'll it'll be, um, it it is a working distillery, but it's going to be beautiful. It'll it'll have lots of you know small they say lakes, but I, I would call them ponds and parks and water features and things like that. It's it's just going to be a place that people want to visit. Well, they're building it in a quarry, old quarry, right? That's correct. Yeah. Which is you know, not surprisingly, ca- causing some um, struggles in terms of laying down infrastructure to support a distillery yeah so we were down like i mentioned earlier we were down there for the
2: the bourbon festival and mike and i actually had the opportunity to sit at breakfast with the kind of the town fathers and uh, listen to them talk about you know what's going on and 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 you know and how the bourbon world's kind of changed and things are have, have amped up a bit you know were I think, they happy about it I, you know i think that in general, yes. No. I think they're excited. I think they're excited about it. I don't know that they're excited that the attention is being taken away from Bardstown so much because a lot of that, a lot of that attention is now focused in Louisville during that time. I think right? the urban,
0: the urban bourbon trail has probably taken some away from Bardstown and they're trying to figure out how to, how do we catch up? How do we modernize our tourism here? Um make main Street more, and it has it's gotten better
1: in the past couple of years down there, so um hotels and, yeah, there's three hotels going up right now down yeah. there, yeah,
2: and I think that's what has to happen. I think frankfurt is a is a similar situation, maybe not not so far behind, but you know Frankfurt has um you know a number of distilleries there, they've got a lot of bourbon tourism that comes to Frankfurt, mm-hmm. uh but they're not Louisville either. You know, so I mean, Louisville's kind of that that city with all the hotels and the and the urban life and and you know the restaurants and the nightlife and you know somebody needs a needs a place to come to that is uh, base of operations. You know, kind of when they're visiting Bourbon, sure. Louisville kind of fits that bill. Well, there's plenty of places to eat downtown Louisville. Same thing Lexington with
0: the distillery district there. They put a bunch of shops. And that old distillery
1: there. I think it's fantastic what they're doing. It looks beautiful and it makes you want to come there and do stuff. And you've got a high end restaurant and what was it? Middle Fork Kitchen. And mm-hmm. you've got Goodfellas Pizza, which is fantastic, Crank and Boom ice cream that's a great place to go if he can find a place to park okay oh, yeah, yeah.
0: that's the only problem um so you got the a cider mill there you got a brewery there you, you got everything you would want in one little area something for everybody
1: yeah in Bartstown, uh, it, it, in doing the book you know the publisher had initially thought that we could ring this theme out of it that it was like the napification of Bartstown, that what's happening in Bartstown is what happened with wineries in the wine industry in napa valley and there's some similarities but it's they're fairly thin because bartstown was a 200 year old town that already had industry there you know napa was a, a was nothing but farming right and it grew into it and you've only got one or two roads coming in and out of there it's very boutique it's very different but bartstown like it or not is the bourbon capital of the world and the attention is there people want to come there and it's got to figure out a way to make these people keep coming back and spending their money and
2: some of it some of it's happened i think that maybe not moving as fast as it needs to happen but we we actually had dustin collins on the show i don't know if you had an opportunity <laughs> not familiar with him. so he's a country artist who left Barge Bardst- he's a bardstown native who left bardstown to go make his name in country music and he's done a an excellent job he's moving up the charts he's uh he's become quite well known but he, when we had him on for an interview, he talked about when he went back to Bardstown to visit that he felt like it had turned into a uh, bourbon Gatlinville.
1: Gat, Gatlinburg. <laughs> Gatlinburg. Gatlinburg, sorry. Okay.
2: And that, you know, when he was growing up there, the only thing they could do is go park in the Walmart parking lot on Saturday nights and drink beer. But now there's stuff to do. There's pubs and there's restaurants and there's hotels and there's. So I think they have come a little ways. I still
0: don't think there's enough down there. I just yeah, you know, there's how many good restaurants are actually in Bardstown? Um, a handful. For me, uh, you know, you 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 do only have five or six restaurants there that I would.
1: And Bar Semper you know, Company is the the one that yeah, that's right. that really set the stand. I, I love Mamie's Kitchen, but it's not what I would tell people. You know, if you, I would say if you want a kind of a Kentucky experience, go there. But if you want an elevated experience, you need to go to Barstown Bourbon Company. Yeah. And that's really the only sh- yeah. high-end show on
0: Tantown. Right. Right. So maybe more restaurants. How do you keep the tourists that come there for just bourbon in Bardstown?
1: One of the answers that was given was, again, back to like Barstown Bourbon Company and Lux Row and even Heaven Hill. These are all on the periphery of the town proper. And maybe that's where it's going to grow. It's just in a, in a, maybe in concentric circles and maybe the town proper stays the same. I don't know. I know one thing, it's difficult to get real estate there because people are holding onto the properties, hoping that they'll be able to sell for a higher dollar. So yeah. there's some stagnation there. That's the thing that bothers me a little bit is that the people are so friendly and willing to serve. They just don't know always how to serve. Yeah. So things, you know, the the first big step in change is now that the Kentucky Bourbon Festival has a very experienced. They just hired him this week, events manager, a guy named Randy Pressy, who managed operations at Churchill Downs for 14 years. I'd say he knows a thing or two about. I would think so. Big events. He you know has done several other things. And David Mandel, the former CEO of the Bardstown Bourbon Company, is the chairman of the board for the Kentucky Bourbon Festival now. So you got this. Wise outsider. So many outsiders in this business have a better view of the industry than we do in terms of tourism and entertainment. Nobody has a better view of whiskey making than our insiders. Yeah. But these people see things that we as Kentuckians don't see because we take it for granted or we haven't had our vision expanded and I think that's what's incredibly exciting for Barstown out there. So, you know, they're up.
2: still they're still battling with that week or those two weeks there where Louisville has events and they have events and they're both going on at the same time. How do they deal with that?
1: That's a great question. And and part of the answer is they're they're totally different things. Yeah. And Bartstown needs to make themselves their totally different thing and own it and grow it and make it attractive. I mean, when you really look at it, Bourbon and Beyond is is a rock concert where bourbon gets a lot of attention. That's really it. So it's mm-hmm. fairly, you know, two dimensional. There's a lot more that you can do at um, the Bourbon Festival. Sure. You've got land and buildings and people and space. And, and, and Bourbon
2: and Beyond and <clears throat> Louder Than Life and Hometown Rising and all of these things they have going on those those couple of weeks there. They're introducing a lot of new bourbon lovers, right? That, that's
1: exactly right. So I then no way can I knock what they're doing. I mean, they're exposing people to this spirit in this state. And, you know, it, it, everything's good about both things going on. The bourbon festival just has to figure out a way, not even to counterpunch, but to say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do, I'm not going to be in this title match. I'm going to go establish my own title match. Right.
0: We could have a different age group there too, you know, have a younger crowd that goes to the, the music festivals and you have a little bit older crowd that wants to go down to more the bourbon festival for me was like a lot of craft hints and um, it seemed like every distiller was there had a, a nice booth there Um nice beautiful they crowds.
1: did and a big step in making those people happy this year was allowing them to make cocktails at their booths I mean it's the first time it's ever happened yeah that was really good it was really good so it's they've got to start thinking down that road. How can we get is, you know, nobody liked going to the wild Turkey booth and buying a ball cap or a shirt. They wanted to have some wild Turkey for heaven's sakes. Sure. Put that in their hands. That's what links. Booker. No, he said, you know, if you can get them to taste the product, you're going to have a fan. Well, they hadn't been able to taste the product for 27 straight years. Now they can do it. That's a step in the right direction.
0: I thought, uh, I was shocked when me and Jim went into the pancake breakfast and they were like, would you like a bourbon Mosa? And I was like, never had one of those before, but I'll, I'll take a big old giant glass of it. Let's <laughs> <laughs> we'll start this day off. Right.
1: Was it any good?
0: It was great. Yeah, It was really good. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Matter I've fact, never tried for, for my birthday. Uh, kind of did a birthday weekend getaway down in Nashville. And I tried to recreate that bourbon Mosa and I filled up a big Yeti, like,
2: tumblr thing full of it Mm -hmm. yeah i was designated driver so i just (laughs) (laughs) it was a good weekend well steve you know we're getting kind of way into the second half here i want to make sure we give our listeners an opportunity to to know where to find you on the internet on your website social media Uh, if you want to talk a little bit about some things you have going on here uh, this episode will probably released towards i would say what do you think mike towards the end of march yeah so you've got some things coming up that uh, people would want to check
1: out uh, yeah um there's a lot going on right now and that's great so let's start with uh, the web my website is steve uh, i'm sorry stevecoombs.com so it's S T E V E C O O Amazon Michael michael e com. so go to that and you can find my books there you can also find my blog and a lot of uh, LinkedIn related articles that I've written. Uh, if you want to email me for further information about tastings and pairings, I do lead small to large group pairings. And that is Steve at stevecoombs.com, which you could also find at the website um, in terms of events. We're on a hard run right now. And unfortunately by March, the the next ones are going to be out of town in St. Louis and they're already sold out. But um it's just fun to be doing these big ones. Last week we did one for a hundred people at the Fraser museum, um, with Mictors and with art eatables, which is a fabulous chocolate supplier here in town. They're the only ones who I think the distilleries actually tie up to and do custom truffles, by the way, I'm going to put in a plug for my friend, Kelly Ramsey, amazing chocolates here at the bourbon classic. I'm doing this pairing with uh, Barton, which will be fantastic. Um, I'm sure that these additional events will come and you can always find them on Facebook. Just look up Steve Coombs. It comes up same for Instagram, Steve Coombs and um, always reach out, say hello, ask questions, buy books, you know, I always communicate. I, I love, I love talking to people. Obviously I'm sitting here doing this. <laughs> well, Steve, I know you're a busy guy. You know, we're, we're kind of fortunate
2: to have you on the show here. We've had you on twice now. And
1: I've got to go listen to that first one
2: yeah it, it actually Mike that, I think that was, Mike was that your first solo that was my first like to do anything that was it that <laughs> I that didn't know was,
1: you like, cut your teeth on me
0: thrown <laughs> to the wolves down there <laughs> I was pretty nervous too I was like oh man I gotta do all this and <laughs> I thought and we I was were
1: gonna, all sweating like cheap hamburger it uh, was a hot day
0: yeah it was it was horrible <laughs>
1: Well, Steve, it was
2: definitely a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm sure our listeners will search you out and uh, check out your website and see what you have going on. And and they're going to see you out at events all the time. So if all the time. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm at a lot of them speaking or just having fun. Well, we'd like to thank uh, Justin's House of Bourbon for hosting our interview session today. Uh, their speakeasy here is a nice, quiet place. Well, it's been kind of quiet, hasn't it, Mike? <laughs> Yeah, So, kind of a it nice It's it busy on weekends, I'll tell you yeah. that much. But it's a great room for us, and it was uh, very uh, gracious of them to extend this opportunity and to us. And one
1: more little plug for them if you want to come and look at bottles you'll never see ever again, come look at these whiskey bottles and just leave your wallet somewhere else because it, it, I think I saw a full set of old Crow Chessmen out there. Five figure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i've got i've got a couple of ounces of it i'm just going to treasure that so
1: <laughs> but yeah they're 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 neat guys the two just the, the justins is plural justin thompson and justin sloan some of the greatest whiskey hunters in the country absolutely mike
2: don't, don't forget you can find them over
1: in lexington too they have right. shop over there. that's true
2: on broadway yeah mike you want to take us out yeah you can
0: find us on uh instagram twitter facebook at the Bourbon road.com. You can find us
2: uh
0: email either one of us, either at Mike or Jim at the Bourbon road.com. You can find me at one big chief on Instagram.
2: I'm Jay Shannon sixty three. We'll
0: uh, we'll see you on down the Bourbon Road. All right.